I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, September 22nd, 2022, the 610th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you don't want to, just keep listening for free a couple days later and share it with your friends. So I've been talking pretty regularly over the last month or so about the false narrative that Democrats and the media are pushing and rhinos are pushing as well that there is some sort of Democrat comeback on the horizon, that the red wave is really going to be a red mirage. Everyone's going to realize the threat of domestic terrorism from MAGA Republicans and white nationalists by the time the midterms roll around, and they'll fall in line and vote for the same Democrat communists and complicit Republican communists who have pushed our country into this state in service of turning our country over to the control of a global governing body or bodies, international bodies, the UN, the World Economic Forum, the WHO, the World Trade Organization, or potentially regional governments as a bridge point to get to that one world global government. The narrative being pushed is that MAGA Republicans are too extreme. The Democrats helped get those people nominated, knowing they'd be easy to defeat in the fall. There's going to be a huge backlash to the Dobbs decision. So much of the country really wants to have the federal government make the decisions regarding the legal status of abortion. People don't want to decide it in their own states. They all believe that abortion is so important. It must come from the top down. People in the states wouldn't decide the right way for themselves. And they do all this, of course, talking about the joys of our democracy. 
they have to set this whole narrative up because when they attempt to steal the election to whatever degree they are successful, they need people in the public to believe that it was possible that the Democrat Communist Party could have made this massive comeback and held on to control of the Senate or maybe even held on to control of the House. Oh, things could go really well for the Democrats. And this is the story they hope that people will believe within the false reality. People who are detached from the empirical, observable reality and get their perception of the world from the television and from media, from their phones and from culture. They'll accept this narrative. The communists can steal the election and then people will believe it. That's what this narrative is there to do. But information from the real world proves this narrative false, as I've gone through many, many times. Their much larger narratives are falling apart. It turns out people don't care about abortion at the federal level nearly as much as Democrats pretend they do. People actually have big problems with the slave trade going on at the southern border. The economy is crushing people. Inflation is crushing people. Rising prices are making it so families have to live lives they thought they had already progressed out of. The race agenda is failing. People are sick of it. The gender agenda is failing. People are sick of it. No one believes any of this stuff anymore. It's being proven as factually false. These are the basic tenets of the modern Democrat Communist Party movement. That party is not a party without people believing all of their stories about the false reality. When people wake up to the understanding that none of it is true, they reject the Democrat Communist Party en masse. Their claims of Biden's successes throughout the summer are all based on similarly false premises that the people actually want Joe Biden to do all of this stuff, even though the people have hated the results of it all so far. And they'll call things bipartisan and claim to the country that bipartisan means it's actually supported by a majority of people on both sides. They're really serving the needs of the country. Obviously not true. And Joe Biden's approval ratings are not skyrocketing. They are among the worst in history. His approval ratings with Republicans are in the low single digits. His approval ratings with independents are around 20 or just above, just below. And their justifications for any potential blue comeback fall apart almost immediately. But we can go further than that and see from reality and what they are actually doing as opposed to what they're saying that they don't even believe this narrative. And of course they don't. They believe, in fact, they know that their voters are clueless about anything that's happening in the world and will happily listen to and repeat whatever they say as long as it makes those people feel right and morally good. So I talked last week about illegal aliens coming to our country as part of this slave trade. They are selected from other countries by partner NGOs. They are sent to places south of our border where they are collected by new NGOs and their travel into the United States is facilitated by the Mexican cartels. All of this is working in partnership with the Biden administration on behalf of the global communists, and it's being funded by the global communists. When they get to America, they are sent around to American cities. They are provided with services, housing, food, medical care. They are given jobs where their labor is exploited and underpaid. And we heard yesterday from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that all of these people are necessary because someone's tax dollars have to pay for Medicare and Social Security because they know those programs will be insolvent in a matter of a few short years otherwise. But that's not all they bring these impoverished black and brown foreigners here to the United States to exploit. They also want to exploit their political power. And one of the ways they do this is by 
getting them driver's licenses where they are registered to vote. Mail-in ballots are sent out to them, and then those ballots are harvested and cast in their name for Democratic candidates or sometimes for uniparty Republicans who've had electoral wins promised to them as well. And I know, I know that's a conspiracy theory. You can't prove that. But the thing you have to understand is that the communists attempt to pass laws to allow things that they're already doing. And so keep that in mind as we look to Congress. What is Congress doing? Congress is trying to pass a whole bunch of programs. And even after the elections, they will continue because the Congress that's in place right now is essentially already a lame duck Congress. They understand and the country understands that the Congress is going to be completely flipped over in a matter of just less than seven weeks. What they have done so far has not won the approval of the American people, not by a long shot. And they know they're losing. They know they will lose. And so they're trying to prepare themselves as best they can for the next two years until they attempt to steal the 2024 election. We'll also see them try to fund all sorts of things so that they can pay off their donors, so that they can give little gifts to people and supporters in their districts, for instance, and so they can commit more American taxpayer money that we do not have to global communists. What they're really committing there is the labor of the American people because they are getting the money that they are using from the same global communists. They're getting that money from global bankers. They are simply printing it out of thin air, but it all goes back to the same place. So what they're really doing is committing the American people to indentured servitude. And if they know they don't have to face an election, then there's no downside to that for them. It was already their policy. Now they're just trying to give away as many gifts as possible so that they can continue to be wealthy and powerful after they are removed from office. So it's extremely important for the next few months to see which Republicans continue to vote with the globalists. They're about to attempt to pass a continuing resolution to continue to fund the government after October 1st. And a lot of pressure should be put on Republican senators to disregard what Mitch McConnell wants and do what the American people want instead. Now, I bring all of this up to discuss what they did in the House yesterday in regard to the Electoral Count Act, which I discussed earlier this week. This is from yesterday in Politico. House passes plan to head off future Trumpian election challenges. Trumpian election challenges. That is what Politico is bragging about the House doing. The policy is specifically to address what happened between November 3rd, 2020 and January 20th, 2021. That two and a half months was consumed with proving to the American people that the election was stolen and the evidence even at the time was obvious and overwhelming and could have and should have been to just about everyone. Of course, there was a massive operation between the political parties, corporate America, media and big tech to make sure that no one could ever look at the evidence for themselves. In fact, no one was even allowed to talk about it without being called someone who spreads the big lie. And they're not hesitant to admit this. They have no problem telling their supporters that they are doing this. They are changing the Electoral Count Act or attempting to specifically to address Donald Trump. It's not principled. They just don't want anyone like Donald Trump ever coming along again. They don't want their stolen elections to ever be challenged again. The House on Wednesday passed a proposal aimed at preventing another January 6th, mostly along party lines, setting up some wrangling with senators as they consider their own bipartisan version across the Capitol. January 6th, the very violent insurrection. 
that justifies everything in their minds. There's been no political violence from the right since then. There's been an incredible amount of political violence from the left since then. But what we have to do is avoid another very violent insurrection, even though everything the readership of Politico knows about the very violent insurrection is completely false. The proposal to modernize the Electoral Count Act, which backers of Donald Trump tried to manipulate on January 6th, 2021, to keep the former president in the White House, cleared the House in a 229 to 203 vote. Only nine Republicans, including representatives Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger and Peter Meyer, who aren't returning to Congress next year, joined all Democrats in voting for the legislation. So all Democrats voted for this and nine Republicans. And I'm going to skip down a bit. Some Republicans have said they would support the Senate's version of the Electoral Count Act overhaul, which ultimately could include provisions of the House bill anyway, once it goes through a markup next week. With the Senate version, you've got Republicans and Democrats working together. I know Liz is a Republican, but the fact is they just foisted on us. Nebraska Rep. Don Bacon, a moderate Republican running in a Biden district, said of the House bill in a brief interview. It's typical Pelosi, shove it down your throat. Now, there is absolutely nothing good about the word bipartisan. It doesn't matter that some Republicans in the Senate want to do this. It's just political cover for them making the decision they have to make. The House legislation overhauls certain parts of the Electoral Count Act, which sets out deadlines for states to certify their presidential contests, establishes a process to send electors to Washington, names the vice president as the overseer of the count, and lays out a process for lawmakers to challenge results. Both the Senate and the House bills raise the threshold for lawmakers to object to electoral results, clarify the vice president's ministerial role during the counting of electoral votes, and lay out an expedited court process for election challenges, among other changes, though the House bill addresses more specifics. And just one last bit from the Politico article. Members of the high-profile select panel tasked with investigating the attack and the former president's efforts to undermine the 2020 election, directly linked their months-long probe to the legislation, which is spearheaded by two of its members, Zoe Lofgren from California and Liz Cheney. And as I said the other day, they are using the January 6th select committee, which was an absolute, complete, and total failure for them. It was a ratings failure. The information they presented was one-sided, proven true almost immediately on a regular basis, and they barred any attempt to cross-examine the witnesses they had. They kept all Republicans out of the process. The committee itself was illegitimately formed, and this committee they're pretending, has found all of these important ways that we need to change the Electoral Count Act to prevent another very violent insurrection. They're not doing this to prevent election fraud or the stealing of elections or achieving illegitimate election outcomes. They're doing it on the basis that this will prevent very violent insurrections, of which there has been one, and that one was completely misdescribed to the American public in ways that a large majority portion of the American public now understands, which is why they tuned out the January 6th Select Committee and voted Liz Cheney out of office in Wyoming by 40 points. Now, the passage of this bill through the House has been pretty widely reported, but they expect it's not going to actually receive a final vote until the lame duck session, which is the period after they have officially lost the election and until the end of the year when the congressional session ends. And I imagine at that point, you'll see a major push to get that done, and they will probably attempt to include narratives from the midterm elections in their justification for passing this bill that they've been essentially trying to pass for the last 19 months. But here's where it gets interesting. 
So they're also considering another piece of legislation in the House, and that's H.R. 8770, expanding the voluntary opportunities for translations in Elections Act. So it's expanding the acronym VOTE Act. And this was being debated yesterday. Well, around 1 p.m., the House Judiciary Committee tweeted breaking Judiciary Democrats just voted to support non-citizens voting in our elections. And naturally, communists and bots on Twitter got very, very mad at this. And the House Judiciary GOP followed up. There's no hiding it. Democrats want non-citizens voting in our elections. And they present a shot of a page of an amendment to the amendment in the nature of a substitute to H.R. 8770. And what this amendment to the amendment attempts to do is to add language outlawing voting by non-citizens. The text is page one, beginning on line eight, strike subsection G and insert subsection H. Page two, line eight, after 0.5%, insert the following. And here's the important part. Rule of construction, nothing in this section may be construed, one, to permit any non-citizen to vote in a federal election, or two, to encourage or require a state or political subdivision to permit any non-citizen to vote in a state or local election. And that is the part that the Democrats voted against. Now, the brilliant minds on Twitter immediately said, No. Well, that's saying that they can't do it. And the House Judiciary GOP didn't follow up. But the obvious and logical conclusion is that this is their amendment to the amendment that they put up and they wanted to pass that got voted down. And we can say this pretty reliably because Democrats have already been, as we've talked about many times, attempting to make it possible for non-citizens to vote. Currently, non-citizens are able to vote in municipal elections in, I believe, 14 cities around the country. They tried to do this last year in New York City elections, and that got struck down. This is an amendment to add the language that specifies non-citizens are not allowed to vote in America, and the Democrats are not okay with this. They want non-citizens to vote. They prove it time and time again that that is their motivation. They don't even want voter ID. In Arizona, the Department of Justice in the fake administration is challenging a provision that makes it clear that non-citizens will not be eligible to vote. There is a measure on the ballot in Ohio in these midterm elections that Trump was highlighting last week and I highlighted on the show that attempts to do the same thing and Democrats are opposed to that as well. But let's get a little further into this issue. This is from the Federation for American Immigration Reform, FAIR. This is posted on their website from October 2014, but once we get into it, I think you'll see that this was written far earlier. It was written in 2004 and it's entitled, Illegal aliens in elections and the Electoral College. U.S. elections are vulnerable to non-citizen voting fraud. Again, this is not a new article. This is an issue that's been around for a long time. Consider how close the 2000 presidential election was. Could the outcome have been affected by non-citizen voting? The answer surely is yes, but there's virtually no way of determining whether that might have happened because our voter registration process is so lax that only a voter by voter investigation could provide the answer. With the 2004 presidential election looming toward a similar close result, the potential again appears to exist that voting by non-citizens could determine the results. There is evidence that non-citizens are being registered and casting votes. But due to the laxity in checking the eligibility of registrants and voters, the full extent of the problem is not known. One of the most extensively documented cases of illegal voting was in California in 1996. Loretta Sanchez, a Democrat, 
defeated Republican incumbent Robert Dornan by 984 votes. Dornan called for an investigation of alleged illegal voting by non-citizens. According to Congressional Quarterly, a Washington, D.C. newspaper that focuses on developments in Congress, Task Force Chairman U.S. Representative Vernon J. Ehlers from Michigan said investigators had found concrete evidence of 748 illegal votes by non-citizens, not enough to throw Sanchez's victory into doubt. That's an interesting standard. A lack of attention to the phenomenon of non-citizen voting and a failure to impose penalties against those who cast votes fraudulently has rendered laws against such activity meaningless. It is a federal crime to vote illegally. However, in all cases that have been documented of illegal voting in recent years, there apparently has never been a prosecution and therefore no penalty has been assessed. Some of the cases involved the discovery of illegal voting by aliens during investigation of applicants for U.S. citizenship. Even though illegal voting could have made the alien ineligible for U.S. citizenship, the disqualification was waived. Therefore, the penalty in the law against illegal voting could be likened to a paper tiger. So they're talking about illegal aliens who have voted. There is a record of them voting. And then when they apply for citizenship status, the fact that they have illegally voted should immediately disqualify them, but it doesn't. So the potential downside of them voting illegally has been effectively wiped away. There is evidence that ethnic advocacy activists have encouraged non-citizens to register to vote. Isn't that interesting? It's exactly what I was talking about in Friday's episode last week. A recent case in Wisconsin is likely to be just the tip of the iceberg. The Wisconsin case involved the registration of non-citizens residing legally in the U.S., but it might just as easily have involved an illegal resident. Access to illegal voting. There are few safeguards in place to prevent non-citizens from registering to vote or casting one. The Motor Voter Act, signed by President Clinton in 1993, specifies that the voter registration process must be offered and facilitated at state departments of motor vehicles and at state welfare offices. In addition, that law requires that mail-in registration become available for all voters, expands absentee voting, and makes it nearly impossible for an election observer to challenge the eligibility of a voter. This is 29 years old. The only control against non-citizens registering to vote is a required statement in the application form that the registrant is a U.S. citizen. No verification of that statement is currently required anywhere. Although if Arizona were to pass Proposition 200 in this election, it would become the first state to have such a provision. There is great demand in our society by anyone of working age to have a driver's license. States have established a wide spectrum of laws governing the issuance of those licenses. While some require and verify evidence that an applicant is either a U.S. citizen or a foreigner in the country legally, other states deliberately or inadvertently create loopholes that allow illegal aliens to gain access to a license or identity card. Seven states allow registrants to use an individual taxpayer identification number in lieu of a social security number when they register. The ITIN is available to non-citizens, including illegal aliens for purposes of tax withholding. Another 11 states have provisions that allow illegal aliens to obtain driver's licenses, such as neglecting to verify the authenticity of the social security number. And it's interesting that they mentioned this tax thing in here, right? For the purposes of tax withholding, Illegal aliens are allowed to acquire an individual taxpayer identification number, which is then allowed to substitute for a social security number when registering to vote. Now, what is the justification Democrats always give on why non-citizens should be allowed to vote in elections, whether they're municipal, local, state elections or federal elections eventually? The justification is always these people pay taxes here and therefore they deserve a say in how their government functions, which is a perfect argument if you're the people who are stealing elections. 
the actual citizens of the country who do pay the taxes and by right have a say in how their government functions are having their votes voided by not only illegal immigrants, but through countless methods of election fraud. DMV officials in New York state, a state that supposedly does not permit illegal aliens to obtain driver's licenses, recently found when they retroactively checked social security numbers provided by driver's license applicants that there were in the neighborhood of 300,000 applications that had false numbers or which used the same number as multiple additional applicants. Isn't that incredible? Now let's pause for a second and see which states it is that allow illegal immigrants to get driver's licenses. Here's the list. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Nevada, Oregon, Rhode Island, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and the District of Columbia. All of those states, except for Utah, are considered blue states. This is the bluest of the blue. And it's easy to say, okay, well, yeah, but like the blue states are just always more open about this stuff. They're just nicer to illegal aliens. And sure, that's what it is. All the states that support the slave trade are being nicer to illegal aliens. That's what they're doing. They just understand the importance and the sheer beneficence of them giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. And hey, if some of them get registered to vote at the time by maybe just clicking the wrong box on the computer screen, you know, mistakes are occasionally made. Isn't it incredible that all of these are Democrat strongholds. They're the states that Republicans don't even bother trying to win. And it just so happens that all of them allow illegal aliens to get driver's licenses and may end up accidentally allowing them to vote. They're also the states where there are actual efforts to allow illegal aliens to vote. Isn't that surprising? And it's been happening for so long, but I guess it's just never been a problem. Illegal aliens know they're not supposed to vote, so they don't vote. And because ballot harvesting is illegal, they don't do that. Nobody steals these voters' registrations and ballots and votes for them. And that's not, it's definitely not why these states are all Democrat strongholds. Occurrences of non-citizens registering to vote is not a harmless misunderstanding of the rules, as immigrants' rights groups contend. The voter registration card, like a state driver's license, is a document that may allow an illegal alien to get a job if the alien is going to pass himself or herself off as a U.S. citizen. The possible magnitude of non-citizen voting. At any given time, there are about 28 million foreigners in the United States. And again, this is 2004. We've had, what, 5 million, 4 million come in already just since the fake president began pretending to lead this nation. The bulk of them are legal and illegal residents, 24 million, and about 1.6 million are tourists or temporary visitors from Canada or Mexico. Many of the remaining 2.4 million visitors, such as students and temporary workers, are on long-term visas and acquire U.S. driver's licenses, as do a large share of the legal and illegal residents. Nearly 21 million non-citizen residents and illegal alien residents are currently of voting age, suggesting that they may have obtained a driver's license and, at the same time, had the opportunity to register to vote. The Democrats have a large advantage in registration of newly naturalized immigrants, and it is reasonable to expect that if non-citizens vote, they likely overwhelmingly vote for the Democrat Party candidates. 
In the 2000 election, there were 11 states carried by President Bush that had small enough winning vote margins that voting by non-citizens could have tipped the results to Vice President Gore. Those states were Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Missouri, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. A switch of three votes in the Electoral College from Bush to Gore would have reversed the outcome of that election. So the voting of enough non-citizens to reverse the outcome in any one of those 11 states would have reversed the final outcome. In Florida, more than 1.5 million non-citizens of voting age, only 540 of them would have had to vote or 540 more ineligible voters than may have actually voted for Gore to reverse the presidential winner. In Nevada, fewer than 9% of an estimated 244,000 non-citizen voting age residents would have had to vote for Gore to reverse the outcome of the election. In the other nine states, it would have taken from 25% to 92% of the voting age non-citizens to reverse the outcome. So the point here is we have illegal alien populations big enough in most states at this point to change the results of an election in states where elections are closely decided. And this is true without any other form of fraud. Consider how much is riding on each and every presidential election. And the same holds true to a smaller degree for federal elections for House and Senate and for state elections, for state representatives, for governor, for positions like attorney general and secretary of state. There are enough non-citizen residents with potential access to vote in those states that that on its own could be determining the outcomes of elections. And because they are so inclined to enable illegal aliens to vote, and because they argue it on a moral basis, you should assume that they have made this argument to themselves before. They do not believe it is immoral or unjust for illegal aliens to vote. In fact, they think it's unjust that illegal aliens can't vote and they make this argument loudly in public. So we know that they want to do it. We know that they have the ability to make it possible. And we know that they either eliminate or ignore the disincentives to doing it. So why in the world would anyone assume that they haven't been doing it? And if you think about how all of this is going to play out, or I'll be a little softer about it, how I believe all of this is going to turn out, election fraud will be exposed. It'll be exposed all the way down to its roots. And when we find that millions and millions of illegal aliens have been voting in our country or having their ballots cast in their name, how will the country react? Well, they are trying to set the table so that people actually believe there is some legitimate argument about all of this. Illegal aliens should not be voting in American elections. It doesn't matter whether or not they are able to pass laws now, illegitimately, by the way, that say illegal aliens should be allowed to vote. They haven't been allowed to vote. It's illegal. The fact that they are protesting the reinforcement of this notion in state laws and in federal laws should tell you what their motivations are. This isn't something that your communist friends can just simply call a conspiracy theory. And it isn't something you should ignore just because it's not completely proven in every single way. You can see the structure of a system here in place, you know what the end goal is, you know the motivations, you know that they argue for that end goal morally and otherwise, and they do so publicly. So to ignore the system or to chalk all this up as a conspiracy theory is pretty ridiculous under those circumstances, especially when the only objection to trying to understand this is, oh, well, you know, that's just, it's not proven all the way. It's, 
It's just simply not proven all the way. You can't prove each and every individual piece. You just can't do it. And if you can't do that, well, I'm going to ignore the obvious structure of the system in place to allow it. The role of illegal aliens in influencing the electoral college vote. By including illegal aliens in the census data used to apportion seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, areas with large numbers of illegal residents gain additional representatives. See our issue brief, Illegal Immigrants Distort Congressional Representation and Federal Programs, and that's linked there. Because the number of votes in each state in the Electoral College is determined by the number of national representatives, illegal aliens are also given a role in influencing the outcome of the selection process for the presidency. And both of these points are points I have made many times. These points are things that Democrats will say are conspiratorial. These are part of a conspiracy theory. Illegal immigrants are not allowed to vote. Everybody knows that. Therefore, they don't vote. And Democrats and statists will also make the argument that the Constitution doesn't specify that only legal American citizens should be counted in the census. So they take that to mean all illegal aliens should also be counted in the census. And that is how we get the population figure in our country, the 340 million reported by the census or whatever the exact number is right now includes tens of millions of illegal aliens. Congressional apportionment is done based on those numbers. California has millions of illegal aliens and those millions of illegal aliens drive up the population of California and that population is used to apportion seats in Congress and electoral college votes. That should be an outrage to every single American. And we all just shrug and say, oh, yeah, I guess that's just how it works. That's how it's always worked. I mean, it just, you know, it is what it is. What are we going to do? Like change the census? Yeah, we're going to change the census. That's the point. That's why Donald Trump took his case to the Supreme Court in 2020. We should not be incentivizing states run by Democrat communists to bring in thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of illegal aliens to increase their populations for the census. According to a study by the Center for Immigration Studies, there were four seats in the U.S. House of Representatives that were shifted among the states on the basis of the number of illegal aliens in the 2000 census. How about that? States that are currently expected to cast their electoral college votes for President Bush in the 2004 election lost three seats in the post-2000 census reapportionment, Indiana, Mississippi, and Montana, and gained one for a net loss of two House seats and therefore two electoral college votes. California, which gained three House seats and therefore three electoral college votes as a result of illegal aliens counted in the 2000 census, is expected to cast its votes for Senator Kerry. But Michigan, which is also expected to support Kerry, lost one House seat and therefore one electoral college vote. So by including the illegal alien population in reapportioning the nation's nationally elected representatives, Senator Kerry may have a net gain of two votes in the electoral college. And then that changes the electoral college math completely. That changes what states the parties will focus on, which also has a knock-on effect of influencing down-ballot races in terms of the money they might receive, the assistance they might receive from the national parties, and the attention from the public on their races. It's a complete distortion of the system and how it's supposed to operate. Their conclusion. The potential for vote fraud by non-citizens in U.S. elections is real. Enough evidence of voting by non-citizens exists to believe that it is not just a potential issue, but is an actual problem. With presidential and other elections turning on very few votes, voting by non-citizen voters may change the outcome of elections. 
If the United States wants to eliminate the possible appearance of elections determined by fraudulent voting, procedures must be adopted to verify the eligibility or new voter registrants and to verify the identity of voters when they vote with the application of penalties for those who register and or vote fraudulently. If there is no real penalty for illegal voting, it is unreasonable to expect that an honor system to keep ineligible persons from voting will be effective. It is insulting to our national adherence to the rule of law to confer domestic political power on persons illegally in the country. The size of the illegal alien population has become so large that this issue should no longer be ignored by the nation's policymakers or the courts. And this was written almost 20 years ago. There are millions and millions more illegal aliens now than there were 20 years ago. And policies like DACA and DAPA from the Obama administration have given these illegal aliens an even greater legal status on the road to being eligible to vote in American elections. That is why all of this is being discussed and why all of it matters. This isn't some sort of small issue. This isn't a conspiracy theory. And it may tell you exactly why the Democrat Communist Party is so obsessed with stopping voter ID and why they're always blaming it on a mythical, elderly, impoverished black voter who simply can't get an ID. Who are the people? who can't actually get legitimate IDs in this country that prove their right to be voters in this country. Those people are illegal aliens. So what is the voter ID issue really all about? Now, speaking of legislation that the Democrats are pushing through without the approval of the American people in order to facilitate the global communist agenda. This is from the conservative Treehouse last week, September 15th legislation within the Biden green new deal inflation reduction act has created a domestic carbon trading platform deep inside the legislative language of the falsely titled inflation reduction act, AKA the green new deal legislative vehicle constructed by lobbyists and passed by Congress people are now starting to realize a carbon trading system was created. Ultimately, a carbon trading system has always been the holy grail of the people who run the Western financial system and want to create mechanisms to control wealth by using the climate change agenda. A carbon trading system is a very lucrative financial transfer mechanism with a potential scale to dwarf the derivative Wall Street betting market. Secondarily, such a market would cement the climate change energy policy, making it difficult to reverse. The new creation, as explained by the Wall Street Journal, holds similarities to the EPA ethanol program. Background. The renewable fuel standard is a government mandate passed in 2005 and expanded in 2007 that requires growing volumes of biofuels to be blended into U.S. transportation fuels like gasoline and diesel every year. Approximately 40 percent of corn grown in the United States is used for ethanol. Raising the amount of ethanol required in gasoline will result in the need for more biofuel. The EPA enforces the biofuel standard by requiring refineries to submit purchase credits known as renewable identification numbers or RINs to the Environmental Protection Agency, proving the purchases. This enforcement requirement sets up a system where the RIN credits are bought and sold by small refineries who do not have the infrastructure to do the blending process. They purchased secondhand RIN credits from parties that blended or imported biofuels directly. This sets up a secondary income stream, a trading market for the larger oil companies, refineries, and importers. So there are a bunch of pretty significant problems here already, not least of which is that the EPA are the ones running all of this. And I wonder, I think we will see in the near future, how all of this is affected after Republicans retake power in these midterms and then MAGA goes full bore, whether with President Trump at the helm or running for president in 2024 
in the wake of the Supreme Court decision, West Virginia versus EPA. Understanding how that system operates, back in June, I said, the RIN credit trading platform is similar to what we might expect to see if the carbon trading scheme was ever put into place. Well, based on the legislation within the Green New Deal slash Inflation Reduction Act, that's exactly what is happening. And they excerpt from Wall Street Journal. A brand new market for green tax credits is taking shape as bankers and advisors figure out how to funnel tax breaks from energy companies that generate them to profitable corporations eager for smaller tax bills. Oh, that's great. What a system. The market is forming because Congress last month expanded renewable energy tax credits and made them transferable in the law known as the Inflation Reduction Act. The tax credit sales mark a shift in the U.S. strategy for attracting public and private capital to renewable energy products, and they will happen alongside existing climate finance markets such as carbon offset purchases. The deals won't start in earnest until 2023, but lawyers and financiers are already structuring transactions. They are discussing arrangements in which credits would be sold at discounts from face value, and they are determining how to cushion tax credit buyers against potential risks. So they want to create an influence driven market that basically sounds like a betting market with uneven powers making the bets, and they want to eliminate the risk from engaging with this market. The conversations are happening. The market making is happening right now, said Nicholas Knapp, Senior Managing Director at Cone Resnick Capital in New York. Within a year or two, it could be easy for a corporation with no direct renewable energy investment, a profitable retailer, pharmaceutical maker, or high-tech company to purchase tax credits. Because of the expected discounts, companies could earn an instant profit, paying $90 or $95 for a $100 coupon off their income tax liability. And wouldn't that be great, having big pharma money influencing this market for carbon tax credits? These transferable credits, however, expose a potential dilemma for Democrats. The party aimed to raise corporate tax bills and prevent large, profitable companies from paying too little. But the tax credit transfers open a new avenue for many of those same companies to pay less. Oh, what great reporting by the Wall Street Journal. The party aimed to raise corporate tax bills and prevent large, profitable companies from paying too little. They just report that as if it's news, as if that's the objective news. They really tried to make it so that corporations would pay more. That's what they told everybody on MSNBC. But I guess they failed. They opened up these totally new tax credits and these very same companies that are supposed to be paying more are going to end up paying less. And they're going to do that by influencing the markets that affect Climate change policy, climate change policy, the earth being attacked by the sun and how we Democrat communists are going to save the earth from the sun with communism. Now that can be pushed into implementation by influence from the same pharmaceutical companies whose products kill everybody. But hey, at least they tried to raise corporate taxes. They tried so hard, so hard. And yes, they did control the language of the bill and they brought the bill to the floor. They are, after all, the majority party in Congress, but they couldn't have foreseen how it all would go wrong. They can basically purchase the tax credits, advance their ESG goals and get certain economics from the credits without taking any construction or operational risk of the project, said Haggai Zeifman, a partner at Sidley Austin LLP in New York, who helps structure renewable energy deals. Okay, so they purchased the tax credits. And let's say it's Pfizer doing this. Pfizer, makers of the experimental gene therapy that is not very safe and not very effective. They can purchase these environmental, these carbon tax credits to advance their ESG score, 
so that they can attract more funding and investment. They are going to improve their ESG score simply by manipulating the carbon trading credit market, because that's what it means to be a good steward of the environment, as well as society and as well as, you know, governance. If you do so much for the environment, then maybe it won't be a problem that we only have one black person on our board. And that's really how they think of this, because those are the trade-offs within the ESG scores. But back to conservative treehouse. We know exactly who we have to thank for this. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Captain Stan in the Telegram podcast chat brought this article to my attention. This is Fox News from 2015. Obama years ago helped fund carbon program. He is now pushing through Congress. Remember, we just heard this is like the coup de gras for the climate change activists. They want the carbon trading program above all else. This is the Green New Deal centerpiece. We've been told it's about electric car charging stations around the country and fuel standards in California eliminating gas powered vehicles. Why wasn't this program covered more extensively? Why weren't the Democrats out there bragging about all of this? Why were they calling this the Inflation Reduction Act, knowing that it doesn't reduce inflation at all? It only theoretically reduces inflation by theoretically reducing the deficit over the next 10 years, which is something we know they absolutely will not do. Why weren't they getting out front of this? They certainly went out and celebrated the passage of this bill. Oh, we're saving the American people from inflation. And there's also all this great environmental stuff as well. But isn't it odd that something like this is simultaneously so important and then not spoken of virtually at all? But let's go to Fox News. In 2000 and 2001, while Barack Obama served as a board member for a Chicago-based charitable foundation, he helped to fund a pioneering carbon trading exchange that is likely to fill a critical role in the controversial cap and trade carbon reduction scheme that President Obama is now trying to push rapidly through Congress. And why rapidly? Well, this is December 4th, 2015. In just over 10 months from the date of this article, Donald J. Trump would be elected as president of the United States of America. So Obama was on a clock. During those two years, the Joyce Foundation gave nearly $1.1 million in two separate grants that were instrumental in developing and launching the privately owned Chicago Climate Exchange, which now calls itself North America's only cap and trade system for all six greenhouse gases with global affiliates and projects worldwide. One of those gases is carbon dioxide, the most ubiquitous greenhouse gas and the focus of the most far reaching and contentious efforts to combat climate change. On Monday, Obama's Environmental Protection Agency declared carbon dioxide a public health threat. <laughs> Man, that's funny. God, I'm going to miss the EPA. But let's skip down a bit. Obama's espousal of cap and trade, a system that is intended, among other things, to increase the price of fossil fuels and force their replacement by energy sources that produce less greenhouse gases, has drawn fire from many economists and has a huge energy tax that will weigh heavily on an economy that is already in steep recession. This is 2015. And this is how these events used to be covered. The intent of the system is to, among other things, increase the price of fossil fuels and force their replacement. The price tag has been put as high as $2 trillion over eight years. That figure, nearly three times higher than originally projected, was given in a White House briefing to Senate staffers last week and reported by U.S. News and World Report and The Washington Times. So how about that? The Inflation Reduction Act does not do anything to reduce inflation. They bragged about its environmental impact. This is the most sweeping climate change legislation ever passed. Well, why was that? They were just funding car charging stations. No, 
This is why. And they knew while passing it that it would raise fuel prices and in doing so attempt to eliminate the use of those fuels. But that's not the only thing that happens when fuel prices rise. As we have seen over these last 19 months, the rise in fuel costs dictates that all sorts of other goods rise in price as well because it's so much more expensive to move them around the country and around the world. We have been told again and again and again by the fake administration that lowering gas prices is one of their major priorities, which is what justifies Joe Biden draining the strategic petroleum reserve and shipping it around the world, including to our adversary nations like China, the country that has Joe Biden completely compromised. And not only does the legislation do all that, it actually incentivizes the biggest transnational corporations in the world to engage in a market of power and influence to reduce their tax load in the United States while increasing their ESG scores to further enrich them. This is terrible for competition, for their competition, who can't achieve the same outcomes when it comes to their ESG scores. This is in service of eliminating their competition and creating more monopolistic structures for the same companies that already have them, all of them partners with the World Economic Forum, all of them supporting the global communist agenda and the rise of the global order. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. There is a goal. There are leaders. The leaders state the goal. The leaders tell the world what system they plan to implement to achieve those goals. They infiltrate governments and organizations, global governing bodies and corporations, and they build that system out. You can see the system building out while they're telling you the system is being built out. They influence governments to enable the system and enable the system to expand and the system continues expanding and the influence on governments increases. The system ends up continuing to produce the same results over and over again, except the results aren't exactly as the leaders described. In fact, they never achieve the outcomes the leaders describe, but the leaders continue saying that the reason the system hasn't worked is because we haven't done it enough yet. And so the system needs to further expand. But while it continues to expand, while this process repeats and repeats and repeats, those leaders, the people at the top of the ladder and all their partners continue to grow richer and more powerful and their status increases as well. And as all this happens, people who get all their information from the television and can't believe anything until the television says it will deny the existence of the system altogether because anything this evil has to be a conspiracy theory. No one could be evil enough to set all of this up and achieve the outcome that it's achieving. Therefore, no one is. It's just simply not happening. And if it's not happening, if you keep connecting all the dots this way and showing the structure of the system and saying, hey, look at all this, this is happening, you're a conspiracy theorist. But again, it's not a conspiracy, it's just a system. And this is exactly what the system is intended to produce. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. 
You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!